Good morning, New Hope. It is nice to see you. Look at you all sitting there, looking attentive. Have you got your outlines? Those are those things that, just in case I go a bit quick, and it's also good to then apply the Word of God to you. Now, my favorite time of year, Christmas. We are in a series looking at the very first Christmas. And we're looking at the destinies of four particular people, Mary, Joseph, the innkeeper, and the wise men. And each of those people, those characters in the story, had questions to answer. Critical, life-challenging questions. I like those, although sometimes they can be actually quite disturbing. Life-challenging questions are meant to be disturbing. And their lives were directed by how they answered these questions. And actually, here's a point to you. These are the same four questions that you must answer as you fulfill your destiny and your time on earth. Last week we looked at Mary. And her question was, am I willing to accept God's destiny for my life? This week, Joseph's questions. And man, Joseph had questions. Big ones. Try putting yourself for just one minute in Joseph's shoes. You have just learned that the girl you are engaged to is pregnant. And it doesn't make a shred of sense. Everything you know about her, everything that you've experienced... You checked the family out, and she's pregnant? How can that make any sense? And then, on top of that, she's trying to tell you some crazy story, like she's psychotic, that she's seen an angel. And no man had sex with her, but she's pregnant. That's a big stretch, wouldn't it be for you? Just put yourself in Joseph's shoes for one minute. Isn't that a stretch, girls, huh? That's a big stretch. How are you going to sell that one to mum? How are you going to sell it to Joseph? How are you going to sell it to dad? Yeeks! I mean, that's a toughie. Now, so, what do you do when something doesn't make sense? Perhaps you found out last week, or somebody that you know found out last week, that you've got some health issues. And that doesn't make sense. Maybe somebody in your family. Or maybe you found out through the grapevine that you heard that work's looking to relocate or sell or downsize or lay off staff and you just heard maybe you're one of them. And it doesn't make any sense because you've given your heart and soul. Or maybe a relationship you've been trying to work on keeps falling apart and it just doesn't make a shred of sense. The question though is what do you do when life doesn't make sense. Joseph's life surely didn't make sense. The big questions in in life are, will I trust God when life doesn't make sense? Will I obey God when life doesn't make sense? And the, the way you answer that will have a profound bearing on your life. Now, a lot of people think obedience 
is like the idea of unwilling compliance. And maybe we picked that up from our parents, you know, when we when were growing up. But this is not the picture of obedience in our relationship with God. We need to straighten it up. Other people think of obedience as some kind of fearful submission. That is not the picture either. Wrong one. What is the attitude of this relationship of obedience to the Father who loves us? How does that really work? How does that work? Well, would you write, I'd like you to write down three words in your outline. Here's what it is. Obedience in the Scriptures, in this relationship we have with God, is love plus trust plus action. Love plus trust plus action. That's what it is. Now, that's very different from our picture. But it is God's picture. And you'll see this in the lives of people of faith. And we're gonna, you're going to see this in Joseph's life. Love plus trust plus action. And real obedience begins with love. Here's what Jesus said about it. If you love me, you will obey what I commanded you. So our relationship with God always starts with love. And out of that relationship of love comes trust. And trust means I believe what God says. Now, God knows things that I don't know. Thank the Lord. When I don't understand it, God does. Again, thank the Lord. So that's why when life doesn't make sense, what I want, I need to do what he says to do. Because he knows the whole game plan. It's like playing chess, and I don't know what I'll do. But the grandmaster, he knows how to play. He knows how exactly it's going to come out. Now, in this relation of love plus trust, that leads us to act based on that belief. And it takes all three. If you have action without love, it's just religion. And that's dead. Let me say this again. If you have action without love, it is dead. There's plenty of scriptures that support that. It's just empty and meaningless. But if you say you love, on the other hand, but there's no action, that is also meaningless. Love has to express itself through action. So here we are, back to Joseph. In the middle of a situation that doesn't make sense to him, he begins to get some messages from God. Here's what you should do, and then here's what you should do, and then you should do that. And the great thing that marks Joseph's life is he obeyed God because of his love, came trust, and then followed through action. That's how it works in his life. That's a big picture. So today we're going to look at some of the meetings that Joseph had, some of them with angels, and he had got five different directions, and he said yes to every one of them. And in the yes of Joseph, you and I can learn something about what to do in this life when things don't make sense. The first thing he shows is this. If I'm going to obey God, if I'm going to follow him, I need to do it now. Do it now. I need to do it now. Joseph, when he heard from God, he acted quickly. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, pledged or betrothed as a legal binding, in those days, pledged and betrothed, was as binding as a legal marriage. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. Because normally what happened is you get engaged here and then a year would pass until you get to here and then you have the wedding. Now we just started this. And he finds out, in fact, Miss Mandy today is having an engagement party in California right now. 
So imagine, here's old Cooper, and he finds out, here, oh, um, hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and it's not by you. And by the way, the kid inside me, it's going to be God. Cooper would be rushing her off to the hospital to have a full checkup. But the point is, it will be a year. But after he had considered this, an angel, he was considering quietly letting her go. After he thought about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't lose what's going on here. This was taboo. You don't do that. You wait for a year. Big cultural norm being violated right here. He says, the Lord appears, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Here we get to the point. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel commanded and he took his wife, took Mary home as his wife. That's not supposed to happen for a year. He acted immediately. He woke up. He did it. Do it now. When God speaks, do it now. See, there's a refreshing immediacy to Joseph's relationship with God. God said it. He did it. And a mark, by the way, that mark is common through men and women who live great lives of faith. It's the kind of life the Bible talks about in Psalm 119 verse 60. We're hopping back to the Psalms. In Psalm 119, 60 says, I will hasten, that's an old word, and not delay to obey your commands. Godly people get on it. They don't procrastinate willy-nilly. If you do, you end up like Mr. Jonah in the drink, in a sticky wicket, in deep in weeds. <laughs> so the longer you wait, by the way, the more difficult it can become. Maybe you've had this experience, even at work. Maybe you said something to somebody at work and you know in your heart because the Holy Spirit's prompted you and you sense a sense of conviction. That was unnecessary. It was neither helpful nor necessary. And you think, ah, I'm feeling prompted to go and apologize. Ever felt like that prompting? I have. But what happens is you walk by their cubicle or by their office and you know, they're just sort of finishing up something and you think, ah, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. Now let me ask you something. If you wait, does it get easier or does it get harder? <laughs> yeah. It gets harder to apologize. Joseph, on the other hand, had this immediacy. He wakes up and he gets on it. That helped him keep on trusting. He had this attitude. See, when you have this attitude of immediacy, this love for God when you obey, he says to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. He got up and he did it. It wasn't, a, oh, I need to do this. He jumped on it. That was his attitude. God's commands are life-giving and they're refreshing to our souls. They're not burdensome. But if we wait and delay, you can feel it. Oh, you can feel that, that procrastination. Then it becomes burdensome and the problem. As soon as Joseph awakened, he obeyed. He violated all 
cultural custom by immediately taking Mary into his home rather than waiting the one year typically the betrothal process incurred. Now Joseph's a great example to us of do it now and that's where you start when things don't make sense when God speaks. The second thing I can learn about this obedient life of faith from the life of our friend Joseph is this, is you keep on trusting. You keep on, keep on trusting. Joseph obeyed immediately, consistently, and he kept on trusting. Now these qualities make for refreshing, a refreshing, joyous life of faith. Look at what Joseph did. Matthew 1, 25. Now this, I want you to stay in, my, in his shoes for a minute. What's he just done? He's taken it into his home. She is now his wife. Gentlemen, strap your safety belts on. Read this with a fresh set of eyes. Verse 25. But he had no union with his wife, Mary. Until what? What does the scripture say? Until, what does it say? She gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. He obeyed consistently. He kept on trusting despite his human desires for his wife, which is natural. He just knew God said, hey, for you, Joseph, there is no honeymoon. There is no sex. And the guy said, yes. Whoa, I read that again this week. I was struck by that. And then the next day, he said yes. He is an amazing example uh, to me of the kind of faith that changes things. Joseph kept on trusting even though life was not working out as he planned. This was not the wedding night that he had in mind, that he had planned. This was not the early marriage that he had planned, but he kept on trusting. Now, one of the big questions of life is, what are you and I going to do when life is not working out as we planned? I just draw such great strength. I love what Paul wrote about this, one of the great heroes of faith. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says this, we are pressed on every side by troubles. That's pressures and hardships. I looked it up in the Greek. But we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed. This is a very interesting word. Perplexed. It means almost to the point of despair. That's how deep that is. And without God's help, we'd have, we'd have given up. But, he says, so are we. we are perplexed because we don't know why. Why are we almost to the point of despair? Because we don't know why. And this is the question we're looking at this morning. We don't know why things happen as they do. But we don't give up. So I want you to circle two, three word phrases there. Circle don't know why and don't give up. And many times you feel like a gymnast holding to both. <laughs> don't know why on these rings. <laughs> and don't give up. And Paul reminds us 
That attitude reminds us that even though we may think we're at the end of our rope, we are never at the end of our hope. Never. Because our hope endures. It's not like the temple hope the world has. Here's Paul, one of the greatest men of faith that ever lived, and he said, I don't know why things happen the way they do. None of us do. We're not God. There are things that we don't know. But I do know this. There is a God whose plan for our lives stretches from here all the way through eternity. And it's far bigger and far better than any circumstances that this life will throw at you. So I know I can trust him, even when I don't know why. Now, when you don't know why in life, you've got a couple of choices, just a couple. You can either say, God, shake your fist and say, you owe me an explanation. And I've observed that people who have that attitude often end up being quite bitter in life. Or you can say, God, thank you for the gifts that you have given me and concentrate on what you have and concentrate on that. And that's what Joseph did. He did it now and he kept on trusting. He hears the third time from an angel. First he heard, what was the first thing? He said, hey, you marry Mary. Don't freak out. Marry the girl. Second he heard, um, no sex with the girl until she's had the kid. And by the way, just to clear up any misconceptions, Jesus grew up in a large family. You know that, don't you? There's at least seven children in Jesus' family. Read about it in the scriptures. They named them. Brothers and sisters. You read them. They're named in the scriptures. A lot of people don't realize that. Now, the baby is born, and he hears a third time. The message really to us and to him was this. This is a big one. You've got to let it go. You've got to let go. You've got to let go. That's what he heard. There are some things you have to let go of if you're going to live out this life of faith. Look what happens after the baby's born. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they, and they is talking about the three wise men, actually the wise men, there's actually, actually the scriptures don't say three. Let me correct that. The scriptures do not say three wise men. That's folklore. Go check it out. Okay. When they, talking about the wise men, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Here we go again. <laughs> Look what he says. Get up <laughs> and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. Now Herod the Great, and he's called Herod the Great because he did a lot of great buildings. You can still see him today. You can go to Israel today and see scads of his palaces and you can see his, his signature builds. All the way, the, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of these buildings. His palaces are, are exceptional. Masada was his summer palace. So Herod had issued a command to kill all the male children two years younger in and around Bethlehem. Do we have a map there, by the way? There we are. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll come back to that one sec. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt. So here we are. Think about this. You think about packing the car is bad enough. So let's give a, a second for dear old Mary here. We hop on this jolly donkey, baby Jesus on there, and we hit, hightail it 70 k's south to Egypt. 
And that, and this isn't like going through the Coromandel with nice green bush. It's blistering desert. Okay? And by the way, which means two things. People think, ah, hot. So it's like the blistering desert or freezing cold desert. It's, it snows there too. So she got up, he got up in the middle of the night and he took the child in the mother during the night. See, again, he's doing it now. He's not dilly-dallying. This guy's got a jetpack gym. And he left for, uh, for Egypt where they stayed, uh, he, excuse me, he stayed until the death of Herod. That's Herod the Great he's talking about here. He had three scallywag sons. Two of them were bad, one of them's not so bad. We'll talk about that later. So Joseph again does it now. His love plus trust leads to immediate action. No dilly-dallying. They left everything. Do not miss this point. They left everything they knew and that was familiar. They let it all go. See, they had already sacrificed. Now, there's this word that you're not going to kind of like. They'd already sacrificed the comforts of an engagement that was supposed to work out the way they thought it would work out. Nice party, you know, friends, eating, drinking, having a great time. That's how it was supposed to work out, right? The engagement. The, the, the joy and the comfort of that. But instead, Joseph had to take his wife secretly to be his wife. And that didn't feel comfortable. It certainly didn't feel right in their culture. But that's what they did. Now, they'd already sacrificed the comfort of normal pregnancy. You know, here we are, Mary, late term, suddenly gets this random call from this political figure saying, and Joseph, wait, you've got to go back to your hometown. So here's the map. So here they are, they hightail it nearly 140 k's down here to Bethlehem. That stage, with a bouncing belly. Think about that. Own that for a second. We worry if our air conditioning's not working. <laughs> that girl was on a donkey. Late pregnancy, 120, I measured it. 129 kilometers ride to Bethlehem. How would that feel, ladies? Comfortable? Yeah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You wouldn't like to ride 129 k's unpregnant <laughs> on a donkey. That was not comfortable. And then thirdly, they'd already sacrificed the comfort of how the baby or the expectation of how that baby was going to come into the world. You know, we think about the nice blue wallpaper or whatever it is. You know, the whole room set up just beautiful. That's not where they were. They were in a stinky old barn with a bunch of smelly shepherds and putting Jesus in a stone manger. It's not wood. Stone. That's kind of like... How would you have liked that for your, for your baby? Now here it is again. God says to them, you've got to get out of Israel, the comfortable place, where you know the language, the food, the customs, place where you've always lived, and now I want you to go to some place you've never been before. That was probably uncomfortable, and that you don't know much about. In fact, you're going to face an unknown culture with unknown weird foods, with a language that you don't know, 
And uh, by the way, I need you to get out now and move to Egypt. And he obeyed. And Joseph did it. So he let go of all, here it is, the comforts of life. And in all those things, he was hanging on to. He could have hung on to. He said, no, I'll let the go. And instead, he hung on to God. Now, the truth of the matter is this. Here it is in a sentence. If I'm going to follow God's plan for my life, his plan and live a life of obedience, it's going to be often, it is going to be uncomfortable to follow God's plan. I want to be under no delusions, but be of good cheer. It's not all, we'd say in the old days, beer and skittles. This was tough for them, but they're real men and real women of real, genuine faith. Now, why is it that God's plan for us often involves an uncomfortable situation? Here's the reason. Because when I stay comfortable, I don't grow. Following God's plan is often uncomfortable at first. In our lives, it's uncomfortable to break bad habits. Because you've got comfortable with them. Here's a suggestion for you. Here's, you can think of bad habits as, you know, drugs like Pat and stuff like that. Yeah, and drinking and excessive drinking. But you can also have very bad habits like having far too much of the bad news that you listen to every day, you newsaholics. How about reducing the amount of worldly news and increasing the amount of good news that you take in? If you looked at the amount of news you listen to and watch compared to the amount of good news, is that in balance? That's probably a bad habit. The Lord convicted me of that. I love to keep up with foreign, uh, foreign events, specifically overseas ones. But if I'm not careful, I can spend way too much time on the news rather than the good news. So for you, maybe the answer is just pick up the U version on your iPhone and listen to it on the way to work and on the way back. That'll give you two hours a day of solid good news. <laughs> you can pick that up. It's uncomfortable to face a fear. It's uncomfortable. Who wants to face fear? It's uncomfortable to go somewhere unknown to you. It's sometimes uncomfortable to forgive somebody who you know you should, but ah, you're just hanging on to the old ways of reacting there. But friend, growth and change are on the other side of that discomfort. And as we walk through life, you and I have noticed, surround ourselves with little comforts in life. Things that we want to hold on to. Things that make us feel better about ourselves. Now, we do, on the one hand, want to live a life of obedience, but when God challenges us, the temptation that comes to you and to me is to hold on to those things that make you and I comfortable and reject only the only one who can actually give you lasting comfort. Lasting comfort. The Bible says that. I love this verse. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He is the source of all comfort. For those of you who have been hurt, friends, please do not look to the stuff in this world to give you comfort. It's a crock. It will never last. You will find deep security beyond your wildest imagination and comfort in Him. Nothing else, no hobby, no person, no, uh, no, no experience will ever give you the comfort that he can bring. So don't miss out on the comfort that God can give because you're trying to hold on to some little thing that you can give you some small comfort.
especially during this season. Christmas can be one of the most joyous seasons of the year, but it, I also realize for many, it can be a very tough season. And so far, some people can revert to old comforts, old habits, maybe even revert old relationships. And many people fall off the bandwagon in December. And they struggle with relationships. And in January, they struggle with trying to balance the finances because they spent way too much in December. And that puts stressor on all sorts of things. Instead of trying to rely on some old comfort that don't make you comfortable anymore, try turning to God, the God of all comfort. And that way, this Christmas can be a different December. The Bible says this. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. What that's saying is that Jesus learned from experience what it is to obey when it meant suffering. See, most of us are happy to obey when there's no suffering involved. But when the suffering quotient goes up, our values wobble. So as you look at Joseph, how do we live out a genuine life of obedience? You do it now like he did. You keep on trusting even when it's difficult and you let it go. Then there's a fourth thing. You take a risk. You take a risk to obey courageously. Look what happened after, uh, with Joseph. After Herod died, now Herod, you can go read about him. He died in 4 BC of an incurable disease. And an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Now he's down in Egypt. He's down in Egypt and the angel of the Lord appears again. He says, get up. He seems to, this angel seems to wake him up all the time, right? Get up, time to get up. <laughs> time to take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. So he's now heading north. Get the picture? He's heading north. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So Joseph obeys courageously, totally trusting God. And he takes a risk and he moves back to Israel. And he did what Psalm 56 verse 3 says. Even when I am afraid. And I want you to circle that word when. Even when I'm afraid, I keep on trusting you. Circle the when. It doesn't say if I'm afraid. It says when I'm afraid. Because the truth is, in this world, you and I face fears. Fears about your future. Fears about your family. Fears about your health. Now, some of us handle them well and some of us handle them horribly. But we are going to face fears. So there's two choices you've got. You either let fear control you or you trust God in spite of the fear. Joseph chose the latter. He chose to trust God and take a risk. Now here's a challenging question. What was the last, when was the last time you took a risk because of your faith? Let me ask that one more time. Some of you seem that went straight through one ear and out the other. When was the last time you took a risk because of your faith? Faith involves risk. Go read Hebrews 11.1 right down the side there. Hebrews 11.1. Read that after the service. It could be a big risk for you. It could be moving to a new place. It could be taking a new job, taking on a new ministry, or forgiving somebody you've never forgiven. 
And that's a big one. Or it could be a little one. It could be going across the street to your neighbor and inviting him to your house for coffee or inviting him to a Christmas service. It could be picking up the phone when God prompts you. That's a little risk. Or deciding to change a habit in your life for good. In other words, when was the last time you did anything different? And you took a risk in your faith. Without that risk, you will not grow. So when you begin to take risks in life, it opens up a brand new kind of life, a new kind of joy, a new kind of expectancy, a new kind of vibrancy. And Joseph, led by example, he took a risk. And there's a fifth thing that you and I can learn from his life. Number five is you use your brain. Some of you laugh, but there's a crazy thinking in, Chris, in some circles in Christianity which says you, you check your brain at the door. The Bible, trust me, I have studied this for many, many years, and after a lot of thinking about this, anything that challenges you to check your brains at the door is not scripturally supported. That's a whole other discussion. You're going to learn about that in February and March next year. So if you want to live a life of faith, some people think that living a life of faith means that you disengage your brain. You put it in neutral, you don't even know where you're going, you kind of just, God directs you. Actually, the, what does the Bible say? It says, hey, man makes his plans, but God directs his paths. Commit your way into the Lord. The steps of a good man. The steps. Notice what happens when I'm taking steps. I'm moving. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, not I'm not moving a millimeter. Some people have got that really, um, it's like a moving car is easier to steer. And you're going to see this in Joseph's life right now. Living a life of faith is engaging your brain, listening to God and connecting with him and then hearing his direction. Notice this. There's a mid-flight correction about to happen here. God just got Joseph moving from down here in Egypt and he's moving. And he's thinking, naturally, I'm going to go back to the place where this kid was born. Head back towards Judea and Bethlehem, right? Natural tendency. <laughs> As he's moving, he hears through the grapevine that Achaelus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod. And he was afraid to go there. Achaelus, this guy, was a violent tyrant. He began his reign, this is Herod the Great's, one of his three sons, and he began his reign by putting to the sword 3,000 highly influential Jews. And he's probably insane because of close family intermarriage. In fact, he proved to be such a poor ruler that he was deposed in AD 6. So God, the point is here, he direct, redirects his journey. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which was not under the care, well that's the wrong word, under the uh, tyrant rule of Achaelus. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, which I, by the way, happened to fill prophecies of way back there. So Joseph is on his move back and God warns him to steer clear of this region of this evil ruler. So he engages his mind and he goes, huh, God, this doesn't look the best place to go back to where Jesus was born. Uh, what about up north? And God says, that's a great idea. Where were you thinking? Nazareth? Great. And of course, it happened to marry up with exactly what he prophesied where he'd end up being. 
So he heads up to the north of Galilee to a town called Nazareth. So he engages his brain, but he ends up doing exactly what God had intended all along. So it's not a matter of disengaging the brain and going into neutral. It's a matter of engaging, because here's the deal. The Lord says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all your strength, and all of your mind. Encourage your children to question and to think. Even even God says in the scripture, he says, come, let us reason together. So it's not a matter of disengaging and going into neutral. It's a matter of engaging. Actually, mark your calendars, March 22nd to 29th. We're going to have some very thoughtful men here. And and, and they'll be centered here for around this whole area. And they're going to come and talk about, we're going to have a series called Reasons for Hope. Reasons, which are mind, hope is in the heart that you can share with your friends if you want to learn to give reasons to your little kid all the way through intermediate school college age university at work I was in a great conversation with a friend of somebody one of my friends last night it was all around giving reasons he had no idea there were reasons and archaeological evidence what we have is historical fact in the resurrection, in the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can show exactly how the Bible, most Christians don't even realize how we got the Bible. Well, how do you know it was? First of all, they ask you these questions, like this guy asked me last night. How do we know that what the words we've got are even the words from the apostles? And haven't been corrupted. Could you answer that question? Could you explain to a 12-year-old how we got the Bible and we know for sure We've actually got the words that were there, and they have not been corrupted. How did we get the 27 books of the New Testament? Did a whole bunch of men sit around at the Council of Nicaea and decide that? That's trash. That's Dan Brown novel stuff. Do you actually, or could you explain it to your grandchildren, to your children? Could you explain it to your workmate when he says, I think the Bible's a bunch of fairy tales? Could you explain it? And it's not at this level, it's at this level, but absolutely based on historical, geographical fact. Could you explain that? Mark your calendars, March 22nd to 29th. Great opportunity to invite your thoughtful friends. And by the way, they won't just be speaking. We're about to sit around, we're going to have lunch with some of these guys. Bring your best questions, which reminds me, on your communication cards, I want your hardest questions that you get fired at. At work, at school, your children, your grandchildren, I want you to write them on that card because I'm I'm finalising the list. Some of you already give me a whole bunch of them. Please put them on that communication card, drop them in the offering bucket. How do you get your guidance in confusing times? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't typically hear from angels. But God's word and God's spirit guides me. And God says, when you're facing this, this is what you should do. When you're struggling with this, here's a direction you could take. If you want a list of some of those um, general areas, put on your communication. List of helpful verses, and I'll send you some um, by email. Okay, again and again, God gives us guidance through his word. And then Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, if anyone who hears these words of mine and he obeys them, and obeys them, he's like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. See, God guides us through his written word and his spirit today. And when you read it, um, when you read God's word, this is a great illustration of the prayer 
as we read God's word. It says this in Psalm 119, Lord, give me insight so that I can do what you tell me. My whole life, one long, obedient response. That's my prayer as I read his word. As we finish up here, this is what Joseph modeled. One long life of obedient response. His life was not unwilling compliance or fearful submission, but a really joyous and an interactive relationship with our living Father. But he's not our greatest example. The greatest example to us of this life of obedience is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says this in Philippians 2. He was humble and he walked the path of obedience all the way to death. His death on the cross. See, Jesus shows us the way. So now when you and I look at the cross, we see love, we see obedience, we see God's love. So walking out of here, what am I to do about this? That's a good question. What are you to do about this message today? The Bible says he wants doers, not just hearers. 2 John 1.16 says, Love means doing what God commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another. So it begins with love and it ends with love. And when you're not sure what to do, find someone you love. Find something to serve. Think about that this week. How can I do that? Maybe there's somebody in your office that you could do something for them. And you think, oh Lord, not them. Please, somebody else, but not them. Maybe it's somebody in your family. When you're loving them, you're living the life of Christ. Maybe some small act of kindness. I seem to recall somebody said that. When your enemy curses you, you bless them. That is Christ-like giving. And when you decide to do that, that is obedience. Let's pray. Father, you know us. You know it's difficult for us to sometimes obey. We've got our fears. We've got our own ways of doing things and we get tired. We've got all kinds of excuses. But Lord, we want this refreshing life that Joseph, your servant, modelled. We want to live out the destiny that you have for us. And we know that we cannot live out our destiny unless we obey and cooperate with you. So God help us. Strengthen us to do it now, not to be lazy or procrastinate or stall or excuse ourselves. God, would you give us the strength to keep on trusting even when we don't understand things around us? Lord, help us to let it go. Those comforts that we've been holding on to rather than your will and we know it and there's a tug of war going on Lord give us a faith to take risk even now the risk to serve someone and Lord help us to use our brain to engage with you and your word and to see where you are leading and guiding us in this brief time called life and in all of it God we pray that we do it because we know you love us. We know how deeply that you cared for us and care for us today.
You have a plan and a purpose for our lives that's above none other. Because you know us like no other person knows us. You made us. And God, you have nothing but good in mind for us for all of eternity. So we turn to you. We trust you. We ask you to strengthen us to obey you so we may become fully committed followers of your son Jesus. We ask this in your powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.